Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And utterly amazed, they, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? So how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Uh, and then I will spare you me trying to pr- properly pronounce all of these words. Uh, so let's skip down to verse 12. <laughs> uh, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now let's uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read the first 11 verses. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Another translation for the word there is ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, uh, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. But therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I want to read that verse again. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So to one, there is the spirit of, uh, to the, there's a spirit of the message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between the Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes to each of them just as he determines. Before I try to connect the dots between these two passages of Scripture, I want to begin this morning with two observations about Pentecost. Pentecost, uh, this Sunday, uh, represents for us the movement of the presence of God from the temple slash tabernacle to the Messiah and then to the believer. That is to say that God first made his home in a temple that is inlaid with gold. And then he became flesh in the Messiah. In fact, the scriptures say that when you see Christ, you have seen the Father. And if, so if you want to know what God is like, you need to look no further than to look at Jesus. And then now he makes his home in us through his Holy Spirit. And so Pentecost represents for us a movement of the presence of God from temple and tabernacle to the, to the Messiah and now to the believer. 
But it also represents for us this movement. Because before Pentecost, there, was, there were certainly followers of Jesus, but there was no centralized movement that, that we could call the church. And so Pentecost is considered to be the birthday of the church because it is the Spirit of God who forms this group. Uh, we hear that when Paul says in this passage that we just read, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so this group of believers, this movement that is gathered together and eventually then called the church is made possible and formed by the Holy Spirit, empowering, encouraging, and, and enlightening people to confess Jesus Christ is in fact Lord over all the earth. But it, So it is the spirit that forms this group, and it is also the spirit who enlivens this group. And so for, for the, uh, our gatherings then together, and I want you to recognize this, our gathering together is enlivened by the spirit of God. And, and I guess I just want to allow that to sit in a little bit. That our gatherings together every single week are enlivened by the spirit of God. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, but I, wanna, I think it bears mentioning again that a lot of times when we approach uh, church or church life or, or liturgy or worship, we often, uh, we often use a category that we say, you know, that, that liturgy was, was really alive. Or we say, you know what, that liturgy was kind of dead. I went to church today and it was kind of dead. But when we, when we make that demarcation, when we, we put liturgy or worship services into that category, we're making a category mistake. You see, worship liturgies are not dead or alive. They're either true or false. It's the worshiper who is either dead or alive. And so I want us to just recognize today that as we approach our gathering together for the remainder of our time, not just our time of, of worship through the service, but also our time extended of worship through gathering together as a community, I want us to recognize that the Spirit of God enlivens this place. And we want to tap into that so that we as worshipers become alive, expectant for God to do something in our midst. And this, of course, is, is why a song can move us, the sermon can challenge or inspire us, or communion can form us. All of these things are possible because our, our gatherings together are enlivened by the Holy Spirit who is in our midst. So there's a couple of things about Pentecost, but uh, going and... In, in, drawing our attention then to Acts chapter 2, it's really important and significant to understand that the Holy Spirit is given to the gathered community of believers. And what this does is it underscores the centrality of the church in God's mission to the world. I want to say that again. The Spirit of God is poured out and given to the community as they are gathered. They were in the upper room when all of this happened. They were gathered together. And so what that does is it underscores for us the importance of the, the, the central place of the church to fulfill God's mission. God certainly could have sent his spirit to individual believers who are scattered all of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, but he does not. Instead, he sends his spirit at a moment when his believers are gathered together and he then empowers them to go and share the good news. In fact, before Jesus is ascended, he tells his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait 
together. (laughs) He wants them to make sure, stay together until this gift that I'm going to send comes to all of you while you are gathered together. And so the Spirit comes to the gathered community and then empowers them to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now this, of course, is not to say that we can't experience the powerful presence of God in our personal times of devotion. Of course we can. But the fact that God sends his Spirit to the gathered community underscores the centrality of the church to God's mission in the world. In other words, there is power when the community of believers all work together, empowered by the Spirit, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the world. There is power when the community of believers all gather together and work together empowered by the Spirit to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the world. Notice, God does not say, I am going to bear witness to myself through miraculous means. No, he says, you. The Greek there is (laughs) y'all. Y'all will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And so I want us to recognize that that God is on a mission. God is doing something in the world. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, and despite all of the, the news headlines that comes across your Twitter feed and your Facebook feed, God is on a mission. God is up to something. And what God is up to is bringing his kingdom to bear. And his kingdom is pronounced and embodied through healing and through justice being brought to the world. That's what God is up to. And we shouldn't just assume that God is going to just kind of do that and bear witness to that all by himself by miraculous means. Because that's not what he says. He doesn't say, I'm going to bear witness to myself through all miraculous means, but rather you all will be my witnesses in the world. In this place, and in this place, and this place, and eventually even to all the ends of the earth. And so God is on a mission. And he chooses to use the church, empowered by his spirit, to bring this mission about. Do you believe that? I hope that you do. And what this does is it comes to us as uh, it it comes to us as a bit of good news, but it also comes to us as a bit of like, oh man, I'm on the hook for something. (laughs) In other words, all of a sudden this isn't just about me being fed, all of a sudden I'm being sent out. And this requires really this requires a shift in our individualistic thinking. Uh, we, we tend to think that the, that the church is useful as long as it is feeding me spiritually, as long as it is meeting my needs, as long as I don't get mad about something, this or that. The church is useful, we tend to think, but not really all that necessary. In fact, the, the way that individualistic Western American culture has come to see church as is sort of an accessory to my faith that I can put on or I can take off uh, at will. But a more proper perspective is to understand the church is central to the mission of God in the world. God is bringing healing and justice to the world, and he desires to use the church, you and I, to do it. And so the church, the working together of believers for the good of his kingdom, is central to what God is doing in the world. Now what this means then is that the church does not primarily exist to meet my spiritual needs or to feed me. 
to feed me spiritually, as we say, but rather the church's role and purpose is then to embody uh, and work for God's justice and healing in the world. And so ultimately, my attendance to church is, is what? It is not primarily for me to sit back, be, quote, fed spiritually, then I can decide either I am or I'm not, but rather the purpose of church is that we might come with God as the actor, moving in our lives, acting in our lives, so that we can be empowered to go and proclaim the good news to the world. That's the purpose of the gathering. We gather together for God to do something in our midst that we might then go out into the world and proclaim the good news. This is precisely what happened at Pentecost. Stay together. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Of course, they didn't know it was the Holy Spirit at the time. Wait for the gift that I'm going to give. Oh, what's that? You're leaving. Ah, how are we going to do this without you? Just be patient. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit comes while they're gathered together. And God does something in their midst. And they are then empowered to go and share the good news of the kingdom of God. And I'm afraid what we've done is almost completely turn that around to where the the worship gathering becomes all about me, where I am the primary actor. And I'm the one who needs to, to have my needs met. But rather, it is God acting in us and empowering us. I hope that makes sense. And so the church's role and purpose is to embody the work for God's justice and healing in the world. And this absolutely shifts our view of the church from a catering service, where I'm here to have my, uh, to, to, where the, for the church to meet my every whim, and it moves it to a distribution center, where we might be sent out to share the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And so understanding then the central role of the church in God's mission helps us to see that the church is not an accessory to faith that we can either take or leave, but rather the church but rather it is the energizing movement of the spirit among God's people and our obedience to his spirit then that is precisely the way the believers are to participate in the healing work of God in the world. Now, so that's Pentecost in a nutshell. And what happened in Acts chapter 2? The people are gathered, empowered by the Spirit, to go out and be on mission for the kingdom of God. And then I also read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so in speaking to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul wants the community to understand that that God dwells in their midst uh, through the power of the Spirit. Uh, In fact, in Corinthians he says, don't you know... Uh, that the Spirit of God dwells in amongst you all, right? Again, we tend, to, we tend to read you as an individualistic you. So we read it and we say, oh, don't we know that the Spirit of God dwells in me? Yes, that's true. But he's also saying that the Spirit of God dwells among you all. He's talking to the community. And so he wants, first of all, them to understand the Spirit of God is presence in their midst collectively. But then that's when he brings it right into their individual lives. And he says... Each of you personally then has a role to play as God works through the church to bring justice and peace in the world. And the way he does this is he does this by telling them about the gifts of the Spirit. And so I want you to see the connection. 
Let me make this as explicit as I can. God gives people inside the community gifts so that the community together can accomplish the work to which he has called us. God gives gifts personally to each and every one in the community so that the community together can fulfill the purpose to which God has called us in the world. Does this make sense? And so those gifts, Paul says, are diverse, but they all have the same source, and they are all given for the same purpose. And that purpose is the common good. And so gifts are given so that they can be used to bless others, not glorify ourselves. The gifts that we are given are given that we might, have, that we might help achieve a common good for other people. In other words, our spiritual gifts are always others-oriented. They're never to glorify ourselves. In fact, our spiritual gifts, whatever gifts or talents uh, or passions that we've been given by God, uh, are not meant to draw any attention to ourselves, but rather we are to be a conduit of praise so that anytime someone praises you or us for the gift, we say, praise be to God. It is, to, it is we might be a conduit of praise for how God chooses to work through us by using our gifts. In other words, it's never meant to glorify ourselves, but rather to build up the community and give glory to God. And so this ultimately means that each person does have a role to play, but that no role is more important than the other, which is eventually the argument that Paul is going to continue and go on and make. He says, because the Spirit of God gives these gifts freely, and and it's to the community so that the community together can go about and fulfill mission, then what that means is, uh, just like there are different parts of the body, but every part kind of matters, except the wisdom teeth, um, then, then, then like, <laughs> then, then you have to all work together because the body is this, this whole functioning thing with all these little individual parts. And he says the same is true for the body of Christ called the church. But ultimately it means that there's no role that's more important than the other. Uh, let me illustrate this. I believe that this past Easter was a beautiful expression of this. Leading up to Easter, our ministry leaders got together and began to dream. And we said, you know, wouldn't it be great if we continued our Easter tradition of having an Easter party, an opportunity to gather together to celebrate new resurrection life in Christ? That's a good thing, and we want to continue that. But wouldn't it also be great, and wouldn't our Easter experience be enhanced by having a Good Friday service, and then having an emphasis on prayer on Holy Saturday. And so we began to dream about all of these things. And then they all looked at me and said, you go ahead, pastor, and do that. (laughs) No, that's not what happened at all, right? Because here's the thing. I'm pretty good at putting ideas together in a logical way and then presenting them to a group. But I can't plan an event to save my life. In fact, if you've been around the church for a little while, you recognize whatever potlucks that just kind of landed in my lap because when the potluck starts, we don't have any tables. And I'm like, oh yeah, tablecloths, oh chairs, people, food. That's what a potluck means. Oh yeah, I forgot. I can't plan an event to save my life. And that's when Rick and Amy stepped in to plan details. And then Grace chimed in with creative ways to make sure our kids of all ages are involved and connected and engaged. And then Ryan contributed by planning the music for all of the services and planning and playing and organizing the teams. 
And then as a, as a whole group together, we had a, had a desire to involve many members of our community as well. And so reports started coming in to me about all the people that were involved in offering their gifts on this special Easter Sunday, where all of a sudden this, this group is going to help set up and tear down, and these people are going to read scripture, and, and another group of folks are going to help greet, and another, others to run the stations at the, at the Easter party, and others to sing on the worship team, or serve communion, or take pictures so that we can remember the morning, or prepare the breakfast, or, or clean up, etc., etc., etc. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. And before we knew it, so many members of our own community had a job that was in line with their gifts and everyone offering those for the common good. And guess what? The result? The result was a beautiful celebration of resurrection life on Easter Sunday. You see, we are we, are not, we not only got to enjoy a celebration for us, but we also had an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with members of our surrounding community and anyone that would join us. This is a really phenomenal example of what Paul has in mind. He says, gather together and I will pour my spirit out among you for the purpose of empowering you to go out and be on mission in the world. But to help you do that, I'm going to give each and every one of you gifts. But make sure you might be tempted, as the Corinthians were, to think that your gift is more important. Think that your gift rises another, over and above another gift. But don't think that. Because the gifts that I pour out are just like the parts of a body. They're all necessary for the whole to function. And so don't make sure that in using your gift, it's never about glorifying you, but it's about the common good and bringing glory to God. And we lived that out as a church body on Easter Sunday. And it was glorious. And it's our goal, it's our hope to continue living out and pressing into that more and more and more. Because I can't do everything. Not because I just don't have the time, but because I don't have the ability. (laughs) I don't have the spiritual gifts to do everything. But guess what? God has given this community every gift that he needs to take us where he wants to go. It's just a matter of all of us getting in the game and using our gifts. And so the giving of gifts is the concrete outworking of God's desire to use the church for mission in the world. Let's make that same point, but let's do it Jeopardy style. Answer, how God is going to use this ragtag group of people to accomplish his mission in the world. Question, what are spiritual gifts? (laughs) Each one discovering and then using our gifts for the common good Empowers, empowered and enlivened by the Spirit of God helps us to accomplish God's purpose in the world. And so next Sunday, as part of our Faith Promise Sunday, uh, we're going to talk about opportunities to serve inside of the church. But we're also going to take that opportunity to learn about the mission work of God that is happening all around the world through our denomination. And then guess what? We're going to have spiritual gift inventories available 
to help you discover your spiritual gifts. Now, these inventories are not given so that you can put yourself in a box and say, oh, I can't do that because my gifts are this. But rather, the, the inventories are given as a way to help you discover. Places to start getting involved and start serving and try out. And so, those will be available next Sunday as we talk about mission in the world. Do you know that on the church calendar, Pentecost is the last Sunday before we start this uh, brilliantly named season called Ordinary Time. (laughs) Uh, My wife is in marketing and she said, I don't know who came up with that term, but that is awful. (laughs) I've heard other pastors call it Kingdom Time. I like that better. When you you move from, from Advent to Christmas to Epiphany to Lent, to Easter and Easter tide, and then to Pentecost, the birth of the church. And then in the longest season of the church called kingdom time, we are sent on mission in the world. Now, of course, we're always sent on mission, but Pentecost is a really great time to just remind ourselves of that fact. To say, you know what? This, this gathering together is for a purpose. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, let us recognize that it is his spirit that energizes us, the church, for mission. And each of us have been given good gifts to use for his glory and the good of his kingdom. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to say a Pentecost prayer, and we'll have it up on the screen. I encourage you to pray it with me. I'm going to pray and then lead us into that prayer, and then I'll lead us to the table. And then after we come for communion, uh, we've put together a video. Uh, We'll have prayers of the people too. Sorry, I'm getting things out of order. Communion, prayers of the people. And then after the prayers of the people, we've put together a video uh, that helps tell the story of this church. Um, Because as a local body of believers uh, in Fort Collins, we come from a long and rich history. Uh, The Church of the Nazarene in Fort Collins was planted in 1924. Do you know that? Now, Emmaus Road has only been around since 2008. That's when we changed the name. But the Church of the Nazarene has been around since the 20s. And so we, as we gather together week after week, we come from a long, rich history of believers that have gathered in this city. But our history, of course, is much richer than that. Because as we read Acts chapter 2, that's part of our story. Because every local congregation is a continuation of the movement of God for the believers to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? And we need to get a hold of that. We just like really need to not just believe that in our heads, but we need to connect that to our hearts. That this church is part of a long and rich history that began on Pentecost Sunday.